o'clock and Joe Root is out. I'm not sure that Rebecca Davis is too concerned about that. A lovely ball from Kahisa Rabada, reducing England now to 149 for four and bringing Ollie Pope in to bat with Ben Stokes. Don't care much about cricket, do you, Rebecca? I see you corrected. I see you corrected the original sport you were going to give there and limited it to cricket, which is correct. Yeah, because tennis you are... All over. All over tennis. Tickets for Nadal, Federer? Nope. 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 Disappointed by that. Very Very. much so. Do you know that she who sits on the other side of the glass got tickets? I'm aware. You still have to have (laughs) She does make people aware, doesn't she? Aggressive (laughs) conversations about that. She does make people aware. Um, When we spoke while you were at the 108th birthday celebrations in Kimberley, you were talking about the very visible and obvious impact of the drought there. You've spent a couple of days traveling more mm. widely through the Karoo. You came back this morning from Sunderland and what, Sutherland. Sutherland, at least, what That's you it. saw not pretty. John, I was thinking I had to drive from, I drove from Kimberley to Cape Town over the last few days. And the first time I saw any visible large body of water was just outside the dunes. I mean, that is hundreds and hundreds of kilometers where all you see and i don't know if you've driven that route recently not for a long time i haven't no it is i mean you run out of adjectives to describe how dry it is and also the the palette of the landscape which is now just brown and gray brown and gray brown and gray these emaciated animals walking around you know i was thinking about the fact that the australian bushfires, wildfires, and the effect they've had on animals. And a lot of people in South Africa seem to be very touched by their plight. I mean, if you could see these animals in the Northern Cape, surely they weren't just as sympathetic a response. You know, skeletons, carcasses of animals next to the road. And I, I think what struck me the most, John, is that when I think about the Northern Cape drought, I've only been considering the effects on the farmers. But the knock-on effects of these towns is just devastating because the farmers and the farm workers are the only ones who have money to go and sit in a restaurant or have a cup of coffee in a cafe. And as a result, there's just, there's nothing. They get the occasional tourist passing by, but that's it. These, the, the whole financial infrastructure of these towns has been decimated by a drought in its seventh, eighth year. I mean, it's just unimaginable what those people are going through. And the government response doesn't seem to have been nearly what it could and should have been. It's only around the ANC's 108th birthday celebration in Kimberley that a state of emergency is declared in the Northern Cape and what is it, 300 million rand in funding is made available. So years too late, as you say, clearly linked to the fact that the ANC bigwigs happened to be there in the province at the time. And the farmers I spoke to said, you know, what they need is millions. They need millions per farm in order to put this right. So whatever small amount of funding they're going to get. In fact, as far as I could see, the only intervention that anyone considered to have been genuinely worthwhile was, of course, gift of the givers. Now has these big signs outside towns like Sutherland, Beaufort West saying, you know, gift of the givers has provided the water, etc. If it weren't for gift of the givers, I dread to think how much worse the situation would be. And it just it's a reminder also of... In the discussion about land expropriation, that whole debate, when you look at how basically a whole province has been, these farms have been reduced to nothing really. I mean, there's talk in, in the Sutherland area, for instance, of farmers just leaving. They just got up, left their farms, they've gone overseas, etc. So 
you know, you can redistribute those farms all you like, but there is nothing that can be done with them. You know, they're uninhabitable. There's nothing that will grow there without water. So it, it really casts the whole land debate in a new complexion when you consider that without water, we cannot farm, but we also cannot use the farms for anything. It's, it left me really depressed, John. I mean, I don't use that lightly. I just, I think for the first time I realized just how terrible that situation is. And because they are not big urban areas, their concerns are off the front pages, off lead stories in electronic media, not much blogged and tweeted about. There's just this remote, terrible suffering. I think that's right. And also I think, you know, there's not really a lot of protest around it. There's no... Active Today, for instance, in Beaufort West, we saw there was protests about the Western Cape Education Department involving learner transport. There were roads blocked, there were tires burned, and then suddenly, you know, attention turned to Beaufort West. But in the absence of that kind of uprising and outrage about the drought, we just don't see attention paid. And then, of course, the level of municipal neglect in the Northern Cape. It's very clear that there's just the, these people are being so badly let down by the municipalities. The money is stolen. The decay is evident. And it's hard to know at this stage what can be done to pull these places back from the brink. One of the things which start, I mean, not started because the the desire to get rid of Pravin Gordon and people like him from Cyril Ramaphosa's cabinet and from public life um, has a history of years. Mm. But David Mabuza's saying at that mm. um, birthday celebration in Kimberley that Pravin Gordon and ESCOM's board had misled Sol Ramaphosa about the lights and the ability to keep them on until the 13th. That has led to uh, another sort of, you know, upsurge, another volcanic eruption. That's right. I don't think it is cynical to say that David Mabuza knew what he was doing when he fingered Praveen Gordon in that moment is saying he had misled Sora Ramaphosa. I think it is very clear that the anti-Gordon forces, which are by proxy the anti-Ramaphosa forces, let's be clear on that, that they are resurging once again. We've seen in the past week intensifying calls from the unions and disparate unions as well as Kasatu for Praveen Gordon to be fired, ostensibly because he has not taken firm enough control of the ESCOM crisis. But as you say, it has been brewing for years from when Gordon was finance minister, now he's public works. It doesn't matter what portfolio Praveen Gordon is on. It's very clear that the problem is that he is a barrier to the unchecked looting of Treasury, and that is why he has to be gotten rid of. But what we're seeing lately with the unions hugely joining that call, amplifying that call for for Gordon's ousting, I I mean, what I always wonder, John, is why does he stick it out? I mean, thank goodness that he does. But if I were Praveen Gordon, you would not see me for dust going to take up some position at the World Bank or some some plush international spot in New York or something. Um, and then married to this, we had this extraordinary statement from the ANC yesterday rebuking the finance minister, Tito Mboweni, for comments on Twitter, for comments made about the Reserve Bank and the need to respect the independence of the Reserve Bank. It's astonishing how the likes of Mboweni get, get, um, get the shouts for their 
public tweeting, but other ANC figures can tweet utterly unchecked. Of the, course. the likes of Figuil and Balula Quite. and so on. Yeah, can, can say what they like without any repercussions. And what this all suggests, John, because there was a period when we weren't seeing that kind of statement from the ANC. For instance, when Peter Louis Mayberg's book about Ace Makashule, Gangster State, came out, there was this moment where there seemed to be a real attempt to separate the ANC from these forces, where Ace Makashule was told, if you're going to defend yourself, you mustn't do it via the ANC account. You must do it yourself. But definitely, there's on the wind now, we're seeing the resurgence of these fight-back forces. And, of course, it's all leading up to the ANC's National General Congress, which happens in when is it, June or July, it's mid-year, when the ANC is called upon to account for the progress made since Nazarek in terms of all those radical economic transformation policies that have largely been unfulfilled. And I fear it's around that that we're going to see some serious political movement to do with Praveen Gordhan and to do with Sir Ramaphosa. Will Ramaphosa even, even last the year? I, I don't know at this stage, but something is afoot and it's something that looks um, sinister for those who care about the forces of um, renewal on the ANC, I think. And then, Rebecca, you wrote to me, I'm keen to hear from older listeners. No, you're keen to hear from quite young listeners. I see. That's a matter of perspective, John. <laughs> yes, it is, Rebecca. I meant older as in older than 47. So I bring this up because uh, uh, a large study has now officially identified the age at which humankind is most miserable. And that age is 47, well, 47 and two months to be precise. That is the average age of greatest human misery. And uh, Why? Well, they believe that that's the age at which your adult responsibilities have piled up to such an extent that you basically can't bear it anymore. And after that, they gradually start abating. Maybe your kids are moving away. Your wish my adult responsibilities <laughs> had started abating at the age of 47 or 48. There's been no sign of that. Okay, Thank I'm you very sorry much. sorry about your personal lack of abating, but um, <laughs> your 50s are generally considered a happier time. Your 60s, it's a, it basically all gets better and then you die. The point is... 47 is the, is the, is it apogee? Is that the one that means the highest? I would yes. forget. The apogee of human misery. And, um, this is incredibly consistent. They, they also looked at the developing world countries with kind of much poorer economic situations and found it vaguely the same, just one year older. So 48 is when developing world people hit their peak of misery. Uh, I, I sense from your skepticism that you have not experienced this. Well, my life's been unrelenting misery since I was <laughs> since 13. The day you were born. <laughs> yeah. You are the wrong person to ask. I would like to hear from the <sighs> listeners um, if they've experienced this. Look, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 I've still got adult responsibilities. I'm still financially and in other ways looking after a child. And um, there are other adult responsibilities I have. Um, well, they suggest it's not quite as, uh, you know, a di- direct concordance as responsibilities equals misery. They also did say there seems to be something a bit, um, a bit mysterious and sort of innate about it. Uh, chimps, for instance, apparently experience their lowest emotional moments midlife, which for them is about 30. So within the greater ape family, it seems to be replicated. And The Guardian went out and tested this and asked readers, well, what do you think about 47? And some of them said, you know, it's the strangest thing. But when I was 47, I suddenly started feeling really sad. So that's why I'd like us to, to put okay. this to a wider wider poll. Uh, 49, 50, 51, 52-year-old listeners, do you remember two, three, four years ago as being the start of 
a misery, which I hope by now has lifted, but right. which might still be lingering. <laughs> and late 50s, 60s through into the 70s, is there a particular... Um, is there a particularly strong sense as you listen to Rebecca saying, you know what, she's right. I remember that too. Let us know by calling us on 021-446-0567, emailing me, John M at capetalk.ca.za, or by SMSing 31567. What most people will do is WhatsApp 0725671567. Does that make sense to you? The apogee of misery at 4748. Neither Rebecca, nor Charlene, nor George, nor Nicola has anything like personal experience of it. But it does mean that they are rather dreading 10, 15, 20, 25 years' time.